Hey everybody, welcome to Humane Voices. I'm Carrie and I'm here with Kelly and today we're talking about helping animals on a more local level in your state, in your county, even in your own community. Um, and Kelly, do you want to introduce our fabulous guest today? I would love to, Carrie. I'm very excited about today's guest because they represent HSUS Boots on the Ground and the work that hits in your communities. Um, really, really pleased to uh, introduce First up, we have Jennifer Bevendangle, who represents the great state of Maryland as our state director. And also joining us is Preston Moore, who represents the great state of Iowa. These are both state directors at HSUS. And I think our listeners are going to be excited to, to really hear more about our work and how we impact uh, animals at the state houses and in local communities and working with volunteers and all of the incredible things that you all do. So thank you, Jennifer and Preston, for joining us today. Thank you so much for having us. It's really exciting to get a chance to talk more about the state and local work we do. Absolutely. Long time listener of the podcast. So excited to be joining you today. Woot woot to Maryland. Uh, like I'm, I'm revealing my hometown biases. Hello, feral fellow Marylander. Maryland does get a little special, you know, love because of having our Gaithersburg office, but all the states are incredibly important in the work we do. They are, all you the, know what? All the states are, but Maryland especially, right? Carrie, I don't want to leave Preston out. Preston <laughs> comes from a state much like the state where I live, Ohio, where we have massive amounts of corn. So shout out, Iowa and corn. Uh, I think we can all agree that corn deserves a shout out. Are, it are does. you getting paid no by the corn lobby? Is there a secret corn lobby? Don't worry about it, Carrie, but it's about it. season. We're talking corn, <laughs> gourds, you know, this is important, critical work. <laughs> Fantastic. Now that we've gotten the important corn lobby business out of the way. Um, so one of the things I'd love to hear from you guys, uh, I, I think one of the things that um, folks may not know that that we work on is just sort of like one of our big goals as an organization is not just for our work to be amplified, but to sort of build a stronger animal protection movement around the country and around the world. And so much of the work the state directors do sort of really supports that. And I was wondering if you guys could talk a little bit about, about how sort of your particular work kind of supports that foundation. Absolutely. And there's that old saying to think globally and act locally. And it's one of the unique strengths that the Humane Society of the United States and our partner Humane Society International have. We have this global perspective, this global level of engagement but it's the state directors that really give the avenue for that act local. And when you can get individuals to take action on issues in their own backyards, in their state, that's where you really build the grassroots army. That's how you get the reporters and the constituents and the elected officials who can line up and be the voice for change. So very exciting to sort of be on the front lines in the local action. Absolutely. I mean, it's in our name. We are creating a more humane society. And we can't do that with just the core group of us here at HSUS. We have to do that with the rest of the country, with our communities, with our cities and our states. That's great. And I, I have a unique perspective on state director since I served as one in Arizona. So, I mean, not to diminish the incredible work of my colleagues, but state directors are pretty, pretty amazing. So I, I know a little bit about what you go through each day. But for our listeners, if each of you could just kind of briefly share what is a day in the life of a state director? And there's certainly no typical day. I think that's one reason I love my job, because you almost never know what your day will look like. 
it could be anything from spending your entire day in your state house trying to track down legislators, you know, corner them to talk about amendments or talk about your bill, testifying at hearings, build, finding your panelists, finding your speakers to come in and support the bill during those all important committee hearings. Or when the legislative session's out of session, it could be responding to a cruelty case or ha- hosting a meeting with your shelter partners to talk about the issues that are facing them and, and what's happening in your community. So it's always exciting and it's always an adventure. Jennifer's exactly right. It's different every day. Yesterday, I drove a beagle across the state of Iowa. <laughs> and this morning, I started my my morning with, with a call with some city council members. So it's kind of equal parts community organizing, lobbying, and just general advocacy. And, and like you mentioned, Carrie, it all kind of leads to building a more humane movement, growing mm, our movement. Yeah. Uh, it, all of the pieces kind of fit together. So in terms of our, our sort of reach on this, I mean, do we, I, I, the, the state director program, I mean, how, how are we positioned? I mean, do we have people in every single state of the union? I mean, or is a little bit more targeted or? Between our state directors and then our regional directors and our amazing humane policy volunteer leaders, we certainly have eyes on every state, but just like we have to pick and choose which issues we work on based on, you know, where we can get the the most change or defend against the worst practices. We do sort of deploy our state directors somewhat strategically. So we have state directors in most states. um, But then certainly, like I said, we have some eyes on the ground across the country. What I think is really great about our organization is that even if we don't have dedicated staff in a certain location, we are so agile and we do have so many great volunteers and other supporters that we are able to respond to the most urgent needs almost anywhere in the country. Mm, Yeah, that's fantastic. I think that's important. And, you know, uh, Preston, you mentioned lobbying. And so in addition to all of the hats I know that you all wear, you're also our lobbyists. Now, lobbyists tend to um, often be associated with a negative connotation. Uh, But for our listeners, uh, lobbyists are working on amazing causes like animal protection, which these two do daily. And if you're lobbying and you're working on laws, you're working with politicians. So if you both can uh, speak a little bit about you know, the work that you do with politicians? Sure, I'm happy to start. So it really kind of comes and goes in waves throughout the year. Right now, uh, the Iowa legislative session is not in session. Uh, They go from January through April. So a big part of the year here in Iowa, we are working on local policy. So talking to city councils and and county supervisors, along with state regulatory boards. But during that shorter period of the year, uh, I am very frequently inside the state capitol making sure that we, we have a voice as an organization, making sure that uh, the animals in Iowa have have a voice as well. And then, again, coming around to that first thing Gary brought up is elevating the voices of other animal organizations and advocates in the state. Similar to Iowa, Maryland's legislative session is January through April. And it is worth noting that some states have year-round legislatures. So obviously for every state, that calendar looks a little bit different. But the relationship building is year-round. And some of it is just the informal, I get texts occasionally from a delegate who just loves dogs and she'll send me funny dog memes. And it's a, a healthy and fun way to just keep that relationship alive because 
you never know during the legislative session what might pop up out of nowhere where you're you need to be able to text somebody and say, please stop this bad amendment, please, you know, raise this concern on the floor. And so knowing that they're not just a legislator who cares about the issues and you know, you can hope that they'll take action, but they they'll personally respond to that text message in a timely manner because a 90-day session is fast and furious. Mm-hmm. That relationship pays off, you know, a million fold. Which helps, I assume, Jennifer, not only to pass, you know, a lot of the probably fun stuff you do and the the things where you're moving the ball forward, you're passing a great piece of legislation like banning the decline of cats, as Maryland was the second state to do. Listeners, hopefully you mm-hmm. caught that podcast where we talked about that, the Danielle base. But you're also fighting back bills that are bad for animals. And Preston, I, I know in Iowa, you You've, you've had a few rough and tumble fights, so maybe you can speak a little bit to the working to protect animals by fighting back against bad bills. Absolutely. So like you said, we've had, I think, more than our fair share in the last few years. I think this year uh, at the end of session, we had stopped about a dozen bills that would be harmful to animals. Uh, and when I talk about bills that are harmful to animals, that can mean many different things because of the many types of animals that can be impacted by the law. Here in Iowa, we've had a lot of success in protecting people's pets and in in preventing uh, some some potentially dangerous wildlife from coming into the state as as pets. Um, Other issues can be a little bit tougher. So in a state like Iowa, we don't have much biodiversity for wildlife, but the people who live here and care about our natural resources includes almost everybody in our state. People care a great deal about the outdoors and and about animals because of that. Um, Similarly, uh, on the difficult scale are are farmed animal issues. So Iowa has uh, 10 times more at any given time pigs than we have people in the state. And a lot of people's livelihoods and businesses are within that that economic system. And so it can be a very tough hill to climb uh, working on farmed animal protective issues. But we still have a good deal of success in in all of those all of those categories because most I care about animals. Uh, a big part of our work when we speak against legislation or for legislation is just framing the issues in a way that the folks we're speaking with directly understand. And like I said, most Iowans do care about animals. Uh, You just have to kind of show them uh, how each piece of legislation is going to have an impact. Uh, So I'm really curious about um, like, I'm really glad you brought up the relationship building thing. And, and I'm really curious about sort of what that looks like and, and how you get started about it. Because I think a lot of people are kind of nervous about, about interacting with politicians. It's kind of like, what do I do? How do I even start that relationship? I mean, Jennifer, you mentioned the sort of that you're now at a sort of cat meme exchanging stage of the relationship with like one of the folks that you work with, which is so great. But I mean, like, how do you get to the cat meme exchanging part of the relationship? Like, what do you do to sort of start that out? I always advise people to build your circle like an onion. So you start with your own legislators, obviously, the ones you can vote for, the ones that have almost an obligation to respond to your calls and emails, you know, certainly get to know them and start with that relationship. And then look at the committees where most of your bills are going to pass through. 
almost every state has some kind of committee structure. These committees really too often are the life or death of your legislation. Mm-hmm. So knowing who's on those committees, who runs them, and just getting to know those elected officials really can build your sort of ability to have a huge impact. Sometimes it's just casually running into legislators in, in your state house. I had one legislator who I would just walk the same direction from my parking lot that he was walking from his parking lot. And we would chat and we would get to the, the legislature. And you know, eventually that built into a relationship where I was able to pop into his office even without a meeting and say, hey, I wanted to ask you about you know, such and such piece of legislation. But there is how many steps sense. did you get in doing these casual walks? With, with <laughs> oh, I always get my 10,000 steps during legislative <laughs> session. It's great. I don't even need to worry about working out during session because you're all over the place. So it's a, it saves you on your gym membership. That's the other huge incentive for <laughs> our volunteers. <laughs> you can save that gym membership for you. But with these legislators, you know, you run into them in the grocery store. They're at your kids' little league games. They're, they feel like they should be so distanced from you. But they're not. They're they're literally your neighbors, and and coming at it with that mentality really helps you build relationships. Where if you come in sort of awestruck, it, it can be a barrier, and you, and you just mm-hmm. don't need that. And what you mentioned the the voter starting with the onion, starting with your representatives or your state senators or your city council members or your mayors. So for someone to do that, I I think voters and constituents often feel powerless, feel like maybe their voice doesn't matter. If you can speak a little bit to that and really to the power that voters have, sometimes more so than the lobbyists, than, you know, others that are getting their 10,000 steps in at the Capitol. If you all could each maybe, uh, Preston, if you want to first speak to that a little bit. When I was in college, I was a server and a bartender. And one of the first things that I was told by my manager is that if you have somebody who who is happy with what you have provided, service or otherwise, they might they might talk about it to their friends and family. If somebody has a bad time, a bad experience, they will definitely talk about it. And I think that that's a rule that's true for people in elected office these days. People who are your constituents have an awful lot to say if they're unhappy with how things are going. And lawmakers are very hyper aware of what the people in their districts think about and what they care about. And so even if just one or two people, when a lawmaker is walking around a neighborhood, knocking on doors and learning about about what issues are impacting people. If one or two people mention animal issues, it's pretty high likelihood that that lawmaker will remember it. And then if you follow up or if your neighbors follow up or in six months, there's a crowd of folks at a coffee shop and a couple of them mention a puppy mill issue, your your brain will naturally make those connections. And, and lawmakers don't know how to create laws if people don't tell them what laws need to be created. And so one person or 10 voices, uh, it doesn't doesn't really matter to me. Any voices engaging with folks uh, in elected office throughout the process is hugely important. The other piece we hear from people is, well, my legislator's always good on the issue or my legislator's always bad on the issue. So I'm not going to make a big difference by talking to them. But so much of this work happens on the margins. It happens when that bad amendment gets floated in committee. And the legislators have to make a a snap decision. Do we support the weakening amendment or do we oppose it? 
It happens when these legislators are having, you know, after hours conversations and saying, well, should we put that bill on a voting list or do we really have time for that debate? Do we really want to go there? It happens when a legislator who has a relationship with someone who might be on the other side of the issue from them decides whether or not to bring up a bill and to sort of try to cajole them into voting for it or against it. So even if you think you know how your legislator will vote, and it is true, if you look at a legislator's voting record, it stays pretty consistent you know, throughout the ages. But all those pieces around the margins will be impacted by what they've heard from their constituents. So you might not see the result of your relationship building. You might not see the result of the conversations you're having with your elected officials, but they we're seeing them and we're mm-hmm. then able to turn that into the bill passing you know, clean and strong or not. So, so much of the work goes under the radar and it, it can feel discouraging, but you're making a huge impact when you know your legislators thinking about, I've got that, con- you know, Mary Sue in my district. Mm-hmm. I know she loves those cats. <laughs> it, it makes a huge difference because we'll hear it. They'll say, oh, you know, I'm, I'm going to vote against this amendment, but I'm going to vote for the bill because I know my constituents feel such and such a way. So we do hear it. So we know, yeah, we know it's true. One of the things that I, I, and Jennifer, I love what you're talking about in terms of sort of having those conversations, because one of the things I think that we've talked about on this pod and that I know I've talked about with other people is like dumb things you did before you get got into like uh, informed animal advocacy, right? And you never know, know when you're going to be the person who has the co- the first conversation that lets people do something better, right? Like they they may have been doing something for a while, just not knowing that there's a better option. And you could potentially be the person who says, who like turns the light on for them. I mean, I think all of us have had those people in our lives and the, the potential to do it for someone who is actually sort of a decision maker is just fantastic. And you'll see decision makers over the course of years, they will sometimes change their position. Mm-hmm. I, I had a, that same legislator that I used to walk to the, legislative complex with he had a a friend who was a dentist and he was a constituent he became a friend because he was a constituent came year after year same conversations always talking about dentistry and the committee that this delegate was on never heard dental bills but then a bill came to the floor and he actually stood up and defended the bill even though he would have known nothing about it because of just year after year after year of having these conversations so Again, so much happens during these sessions that nobody is paying attention to. They're not on C-SPAN, right? No one's one's watching our state houses or our county or city uh, elected officials the way you do sort of the same scrutiny you give our federal elected officials. And Mm. so in some ways, you almost have more of a a chance Mm. to make a difference. Mm. Yeah. And I think the persistence, it sounds like, I mean, you have to, it's a long game. You know, Mm. it's certainly not a sprint. Uh, It is a marathon for advocacy. and to give our listeners a, a little taste of just that persistence and how it pays off in 2021, I think it was 164 laws, bills, uh, ordinances passed locally and in states by Jennifer Preston and their colleagues, state directors, which of course is impressive. I would guess that many of those uh, local ordinances and state laws, uh, those weren't their first time, you know, uh, heard in a committee or in front of the legislators, it took years to do that. And, but I think that success is so impressive and shows what you all are doing on the ground. So if I'm a listener and I'm in Maryland and I call you up, Jennifer, and I say, this is, you know, big things are happening. I love animals. I want to protect them. You know, what are some things that I can do? What are some examples of things that you would tell 
uh, that person? Like, this is how you can get involved. Here's some things you can do. Honestly, it depends on their time and their availability because you can make a big impact very quickly just by taking those action alerts. I know sometimes people's emails feel inundated, you know, take action on this, take action on that. But they register, the, the elected officials sort of count every single response they get. So if you don't have a lot of time, just follow the action alerts, you know, hit send whenever you get one. But then it steps up. If you have a little bit more time, reach out to your elected officials now. We're heading into the election in many states, and certainly in Maryland. And so reach out to your candidates and say, where do you stand on these issues? If they're thinking about the issues before they even come into office or before the election happens, then we've got a huge uh, head. You know, we're, we're well above ahead of the game if they're coming in thinking about this. The best way to get involved if you have the time and the interest is to become a humane policy volunteer leader. We have an amazing team of volunteers across the country that support our work on policies and at the state and local level. And so certainly whenever someone is is really ready to go, uh, we encourage them to consider it. And it's not a huge time commitment. Uh, it's certainly a ton of fun. That's I think I like that you mentioned, you know, the amazing work of our policy volunteers because they're also behind this 164 bills in 2021. And I think that people are often intimidated, like, where do I start? How do I start? But I would bet, Preston, that in Iowa, your team, and I, I know, Jennifer, the teams are amazing. I'm going to give a special shout out to Team Arizona, uh, Humane Policy Volunteers. Um, but Preston, with your team in Iowa, I I wonder how many of those folks started just as, you know, everyday folks, teachers, doctors, you know, moms working from home, just Folks that said, I love the animals, I want to do something. And they're now leading, you know, uh, working hand in hand with you in that state. I mean, is that is that how these humane policy volunteers and these dedicated advocates that are now, you know, lobbying their state legislators, is that how they started? That's 100% correct. They all got started here in Iowa, for the most part, by speaking up on an issue themselves on the local level. Um all of our team at this point, I've had the privilege of working with on a local issue. Some of these folks have worked for years to overturn local breed bans or pass community cat ordinances. And seeing how the process works and getting a victory under your belt is really empowering and inspiring. And so these folks are, are just naturally driven to want to continue that work and because they care about animals and they they've seen the work that we can do together they were really excited about joining joining our program and becoming an official volunteer that's great i'm so really curious like it when when you've had people sort of um come on you know to to reach out to you does the relationship typically start with them calling and saying hey i love animals give me something to do or is it more like more likely to be i've gotten really engaged on this particular issue how can you help me get it over the line I always joke that puppy mills are the gateway drug to animal advocacy. <laughs> we get more advocates who who care because they saw something about those puppy mills or yeah, we got puppies hanging animals. out in alleys. Exactly, it's the one. yeah, <laughs> it's how you get your first hit, and then they they build up. Often, though, people will see a humane lobby day, or they'll go to a a big you know federal conference like our TAFA, taking action for animals. They'll sort of get this like massive inundation of advocacy and it lights a spark and they want to make sure they're continuing. So I, I feel like it kind of does come both ways, but there's always something that 
catches fire in, in someone's heart that makes them want to to take that next step and volunteer. Talk a little bit about, uh, if you will, lobby days. You mentioned lobby days. What what are those? Lobby day is a day of lobbying, a day of advocacy. And so here in Iowa, we've had uh, several different types of lobby days. The first one that we hosted was all in person. And so we asked everybody to drive in to Des Moines uh, and go speak to their lawmakers in person. Um, the next couple of years, because of the COVID pandemic, we had opportunities to take lobby days online. And so we were able to organize a couple of virtual opportunities that included webinars and opportunities to speak with, with lawmakers via the computer. Um, now, things are a little bit more opened up here in the state of Iowa. So we're, we're transitioning a little bit more to in-person events, but Lobby Day at HSUS, though, is, is one of the best ways to get involved. It's probably the number one way that we get most of our volunteers in the door for the first time. Uh, like I said, if you get a win under your belt, it's really inspiring. But if you don't get a win the first time, and you usually don't, you still usually get pretty excited by the process and you want to get engaged with it a little bit more. And then you become personally invested. So lobby days might be even more of the gateway drug to advocacy than puppy mills. I don't yeah. Know. And you know, Jennifer, with lobby days, I, I think what's important, and I know you can speak to this, is that we talked a little bit earlier, people get kind of nervous, or how do I approach my politician? Or I think lobby days are the perfect time for someone that's maybe never even been to their capital. Because you're going, you've got somebody to hold your hand. You've it's like got numbers, uh, right? a buddy. Exactly. Yes. And you're with other first timers. I mean, I assume mm -hmm. in Maryland and Iowa, it's like other states where often each year, the uh, largest percentage are first timers. And of that percentage, people have said, I've never actually been to the Capitol. So I think that is how people become. I mean, that's how the movement's built. But talk a little bit about there's maybe no better time in Maryland to get involved than, you know, working on lobby days and with others, uh, to Carrie's point, the strength in numbers. I think there's a lot of benefits from getting involved during that lobby day window. And we all, like press and we shifted to virtual. We have to see as COVID restrictions change, how we change with them. So next year, still in flux. But the benefit of the lobby day is you have a script. We make sure you have fact sheets. We make sure you have your talking points, your bill numbers. As you said, you're in the room with other constituents. Often I'll be there. Uh, one of my policy volunteer leaders will be there. So if there's tricky questions like, well, what's the precise status of that bill or who, you know, who is the sponsor and when was it first introduced? You know, the questions that, you know, really give rise to, to unnecessary panic, you know, there'll be someone to help you answer those. So it it's that safety in numbers, but it's also feeling like you're going to have all the facts you need to have. But I do always stress to people, lobbying, grassroots lobbying can be about your emotions and your why you like the bill, because the legislators can always come to us. You can say, look, if you want to know the decade long history on this bill, call Jennifer. She'll be happy to walk you through the, the twists and turns. If you want to know what that amendment does, Jennifer will walk you through it. Really, the value that constituents bring is why this matters. And, and that's those stories are what you'll hear when a legislator defends the bill on the floor, when a legislator explains their vote. That's the story I'll hear when a legislator maybe changes their position on a bill and does support it. It'll be, you know, my constituent was telling me about their story. And, and that's what really changes hearts and minds. So mm. sometimes people get so wrapped up in having all the facts and having all the details and they forget 
you know, it's really just about having your own voice. Mm. Can you can either of y'all share like a good example of that of like you know a citizen story that you felt like really made a difference and really sort of landed with a lawmaker? I've, I've seen both ways. We had a mm-hmm. advocate who was coming in against our declaw prohibition, mm-hmm. and they were a vet, and they basically said, "I have this very expensive laser, and I I need to be able to continue to do these procedures." And what the chairman of the committee, who was his legislator, we think what he heard was. I want to keep making money by amputating cats' toes. And and so it really <laughs> went against like him. <laughs> I need to use my laser. <laughs> right? I need to be able to pay off the laser. Right. Um, you know, so that, that was a good backfire example. <laughs> One of the most fascinating twists and turns we had last session, we had a bill that had been around, to your point, Kelly, it had been around for at least a decade on ending wildlife trafficking. And a Republican legislator from Southern Maryland who had done ivory raids because he had worked with the Department of Natural Resources, Fish and Wildlife Service. He was so excited about this bill. He started lobbying his colleagues in the House because that's where the bill had gotten stuck before and saying, I've seen the ivory. I know it's out there. I know it's illegal. And and it completely changed the dynamic. So I know that's a bit more of a legislator to legislator, but if a constituent can come in and say, I've seen this happening, mm-hmm. certainly mm-hmm. on our cost of care bill, trying to shift the cost burden away from our shelters and our rescues and onto the people accused of animal abuse, having our shelter partners and our locals call and say, this is what it's costing us. This is what your taxpayers are having to pay to care for these animals. That completely changed the dynamic mm-hmm. too. So yeah. you know, it, there's a lot of different ways these stories come forward. And for folks listening, because now we know you're jazzed, you want to get involved in your own state, uh, you can go to humanesociety.org slash states. And I believe they can find you, Jennifer, there, you, Preston, there, um, or your own state director uh, and reach out to them. I think they can contact you directly from that site. Um, and and maybe for those folks that are about to log on uh, and sign up and reach out to you, prepare for that influx of emails. Um they're going to probably say, what are you working on? What's happening in the state of Iowa? What's happening in the state of Maryland? So um, Preston, what are a couple of the kind of top policy issues right now that are going on in your state that you and your volunteers are working on? The biggest one this summer has been our fight against breed-specific legislation in the state. We have had some very high-profile incidents this, this summer where communities were essentially telling entire entire neighborhoods that they had to get out of town or remove their dog. Um, there is a lot of grassroots support throughout Iowa uh, in, in favor of repealing breed-specific legislation throughout the state. And so I think that we're going to see a lot of momentum on that. Uh, we also have a lot of advocates right now interested in working on wildlife killing contests. And so we are hoping to to work on that through through some different channels this coming year. And of course, puppy mills are a are a perennial issue here in the state. So I, I hope that we'll be able to continue to make progress uh, against those too. That's great. And I love the, from the perspective of volunteer, I mean, I love the variety of those issues. We're talking wildlife, you know, coyotes, we're talking puppies. Uh, we're talking, uh, how do we make sure pets and families can stay together and repeal breed specific language? So I love that variety. And Jennifer, um, same question to you. Uh, what are some of the things happening in Maryland? What's kind of coming up in the next session? 
Maryland's in a really fortunate place because of the hard advocacy of all of our activists and volunteers. We moved a lot of legacy bills last session. So we're getting ready to tee up sort of the next round of exciting campaigns. So it really is the perfect time to get involved at the start. But we're looking at confinement of animals in these large factory op- farming operations. We're looking at a host of solutions to try to get animals out of research and invest into human relevant research instead of continuing to rely on these outdated and and frankly unreliable animal testing. We also will be bringing back our bills to protect families who are facing eviction. Those were the two bills that didn't move last year and so much work to be done to make sure that our families who are financially on the margins, who are just that little bit less housing secure, aren't being forced to separate from their pets just because they're facing financial hardship or the the prospect of a move. Y'all, thank you so much for being here today. Um, Really exciting stuff. I hope that it's really inspired some listeners to get involved and not be nervous about talking talking to their local politicians because they're people just like us and they have interests and you can you can be the person who changes their mind on something or or gets them involved in animal issues in a way that really makes a difference. Um, Jennifer Bevan Dangle and Preston Moore, thank you so much for being here with us. Um, it's been really exciting. And again, if people want to get involved, please go to humanesociety.org slash states, or you can also email directly to your state name at humanesociety.org, and that will get you in touch with the right people to start to make the connection and, and get involved in our work. Thank you so much. I look forward to my inbox being full of requests to get engaged. So really excited to, to meet some new volunteers here. Uh, I'll echo those comments. Thank you so much for having me. If, if people want to send me recipes for uh, pickles, I have a surplus of cucumbers. So if anything, please do corn, get in touch. Preston? Corn. <laughs> We're plugging corn, Preston. Pickled corn. So, yeah, I suppose. I suppose you can pickle corn if you want. Yeah, why not? Send me, send me recipes for pickled corn, please. Thank All right. You. There we go. Everybody, uh, thank you so much for listening. Um, We will see you next time on the next edition of Humane Voices.